Please remain standing as you're able as we come to God's Word together. I'm assuming Berkey's going to solve the Ebenezer mystery for us a little bit later, but I do uh, think that it is biblically accurate and fair to say for even longer than uh, God's people have been raising their Ebenezer, which he'll explain, if not, I will. Uh, God's people have joined in a confession uh, called the Shema for more than 3,000 years. This is their fundamental belief and their fundamental commitment to God. And so I'm going to invite you to join with me. We'll say a little bit in Hebrew, then we'll do the English together. Please repeat after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hero Israel. The Lord is your God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul and with all your might. Amen. This is God's word from Proverbs, the 11th chapter, beginning in verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I grew up in the city, so there are a whole lot of biblical metaphors that probably don't have their uh, full effect on me. I don't completely grasp them. I'm really not completely sure about sheep, and so sometimes I miss some of the import of the 23rd Psalm or Jesus as the Good Shepherd. But one of them that I think I have a pretty good idea about is this biblical metaphor that shows up so frequently about sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. The Bible often makes reference to this fact of the agricultural world that if you're going to have a harvest, it's going to come because you planted. And the kind of harvest you have will come from the way that you plant normally. If if, uh, if a farmer plants uh, corn, he can't expect to harvest cotton. If, uh, if a farmer plants very few seeds and is not attentive to the crop, the farmer typically doesn't expect it's going to be a bumper crop that year. There's a direct correlation between uh, actions and consequences. And the Bible talks about sowing and reaping to illustrate this fact. Some people have called this the law of the farm. Uh, whatever you plant... Whatever you invest, that's what you're going to receive. That's what you're going to uh, harvest. And I think uh, the Bible uh, is, is pretty clear that our actions have consequences. Dallas Willard puts it a different way when he said uh, that our life uh, and the things that happen to us in our life uh, stem chiefly from the things that we are doing, not from the things that we are not doing. In other words, what we're experiencing in life is a direct result of what we're doing, not typically what we're not doing. So we need to pay attention to our actions, pay attention to what we are sowing because that will give us a harvest. Oftentimes, uh, the harvest is not very good. If we have sown a life of uh, no exercise and no attention to our eating habits, then probably at some point we'll have a body that uh, breaks down when, when we least want the body to break down. If, if we uh, if we sow a bad driving habits or reckless or excessive speeding, uh, we'll probably at some point uh, uh, find that uh, we'll either end up without a license or in jail or are without insurance. If we uh, study only sparingly for our tests and don't invest any time in paying attention in class, generally we can find that we're going to harvest not a very good grade. But sometimes the harvest can be really good. 
We can take care of our body, be attentive to exercise and nutrition, and find that our body serves us for and serves us well for a long time. We can save and find that the appropriate time we're able to put children through college or, or have a, a semi-comfortable uh, retirement. There are positive harvests that come as well. Well, the Bible is very clear that this metaphor also applies to our generosity and our giving in life. Uh, The Proverbs can't be any plainer in chapter 11 when the proverb says that a generous person who gives receives even more, and a stingy person who doesn't give finds that they have even less. A generous person will prosper. A person who is not generous will find even the little they have will be taken away. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of Proverbs 11:24 in his uh, Bible called The Message. He says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. There are direct consequences for our actions in life. And when we do not sow well, we won't reap well. Jesus understood this in Luke chapter 6. This is what he said clearly when he said, the measure that you get will come from the measure that you give. Just plain and simple. Paul put it this way. Paul says, you will reap what you sow. And I think these are very important words when it comes to concepts of giving and generosity in our world because we live at, at, um, at a time in which generosity and giving are under some threat and some attack. We uh, can pick up news magazines. We can pick up the paper. We can watch the news. And what we see are a couple of, of uh, phenomenon. One is that charities seem to be struggling more and more in this day, and yet the demand upon the charity is higher and higher. And so the food bank is receiving less food, but more people need food. And so the charity receives less income, but the people need more to be given from it. And people say, well, well, that's obvious. The problem is the economy, is it? Do you know that Americans today give less to charity than they did during the Great Depression? I think there's something else going on. I think it's time as Christians that we just have an honest talk about this sowing and reaping when it comes to generosity. What exactly does the Bible say? And I need to hear this even before you, so I wrote it for myself, but I'll pass it on. The first thing I need to be reminded of in life is that when I give, when I share generously, that is my planting. Those are the seeds that I'm, it's my investment. It's what I'm putting into the ground. When I give, the Bible's pretty clear that that is as a seed for the future. It's an investment upon which I will receive a return. And so if I don't give, then I can't expect to receive. Or if I give stingily, I can expect only to sparingly. That's the first thing. Second thing the Bible's clear on, this may surprise us, is that often the harvest for our giving, for our sowing, comes in our lifetime. Now, typically, it comes in the fact that the Bible seems to bear witness to this, that usually a person who's giving generously, God is not going to let their generosity undo them. If you're giving generously, God is going to work in ways that enable you to continue to do so. The Psalms puts it this way, I have never yet seen, says the psalmist, the children of a generous person begging for bread. They may be giving away a lot, but they're not starving. There's a sense in which God continues to watch over them. Thomas George in 1600 put this even bluntly to critics 
when he said this uh, four centuries ago. He said, show me a person. Bring me an example of a man whose mercy has been his undoing. Bring me an example, he said, of a merciful man who in their mercy that has been their undoing. Typically he was arguing that if we are merciful and generous, that is not going to undo our life. God indeed preserves us. God indeed blesses those who give in this lifetime. Often the blessing is what we might call spiritual or emotional. There's a sort of a helper's high that we receive when we give generously to a project or to a cause that makes a difference in the world. But the Bible seems to maintain that there's some material blessing as well, that, that those who give, God gives back to them to enable them to give yet again. One of the leading philanthropists for many years in the United States was a Texan, R.G. Letourneau. You may remember his story. And what Letourneau did to describe the way he lived, which eventually ended up in his life, he would live on 10% of his income and he'd give away 90%. And this is what he said. He said, God shovels it in and I shovel it out and I find that God always has a bigger shovel. That's what he experienced. God wasn't going to let him go down because of his generosity. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to teach some sort of prosperity theology that says if you give, God owes you automatically. Or if you love God, God should give you whatever you want in life because you believe. That's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible, though, is teaching there's a basic sowing and there's a reaping that comes from it. And I'm just saying, oftentimes we experience both that, that uh, reaping in our lifetime, even when we do uh, the sowing. It doesn't always work in some sort of direct correlation, but I remember when I was uh, in my last year in, in college, and, and I received money for something I had done the summer before, and the money came later. It, it was a surprising bonus. But I took 10% of what that money was, and, and sent it off to a charity. Uh, now, my family took care of my needs in college, but it's hard to meet a college student that doesn't want a little bit more. But I knew that was what I was supposed to do. The next day, I opened my mailbox at the university and had received another scholarship to graduate school worth 10 times more than I had sent in the mail. I'm not saying that it works like that all the time. But I'm saying that the biblical principle is if you're giving generously, God's going to keep you in a position to do so. Now, if God has prospered you, you need to be aware of this, though. God intends that you take your prosperity and share it with those in need. Proverbs 19.17 is very clear. Those who give to the poor give to the Lord, and the Lord will repay them. Can you imagine an IOU signed by God? But that's what it is. When we give generously, God says, you're given to me. I'll take care of this. I will bless you. And in many times and ways, the blessing and the harvest come in our lifetime. But you need to know this. The Bible teaches with extreme clarity that the blessings definitely come in eternity. That there's no question about that. Jesus may have been too blunt for some of us when he said this. He said, I'm telling you to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Jesus said there are ways to plant seeds that are harvested eternally. And I think what the Bible teaches is that holding on to our possessions in earth is not so much bad as it's just not very bright. Jesus says, you know, when you're storing up possessions on your earth, uh, things can get in, it can rust, it can uh, be destroyed, it can be wasted. 
And very simply, you just can't take that with you. When John D. Rockefeller died, they asked his accountant, how much did Mr. Rockefeller leave behind? And the response was, all of it. All of it. You can't take it with you. But the Bible teaches there are ways to live our life where you can lay up treasure in heaven. I, think, I love what Rick Warren says, the author of the uh, 40 Days of Purpose, when he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. There are things that you can do, investments that you can make, seeds that you can plant that have not just a harvest in our life, but have an eternal harvest that accrues to your life and to your heavenly account. Finally, I think the Bible teaches that there is no escaping the harvest. There's no escaping the consequences uh, of our actions. Uh, A lot of us count on the mercy and love of God as well we should, but we should also remember that God and God's love and mercy has organized the world to work in a way that we can understand it. And the way that it works typically is this. Whatever you do is going to yield certain kinds of results. You can count on it. And if you live a life of stinginess, you can expect certain results. And if you live a life of generosity, you can expect a different set of results. When the great reformer Martin Luther was living his life, he, he is said to have only had two days marked on his calendar. The first was today, the day in which he lived. And the other day was what he called that day, the day in which the harvest would come in, the day in which the consequences would be experienced. And everything he did today was done with that day in view and that day in mind. He planted in this day because he knew there would be a harvest in that day. And when we come to communion this morning we get perhaps the chief example of the way the law of the farm works. Jesus took his life on Good Friday and he planted it on our behalf. He gave his life. And on Easter Sunday, there was a harvest with an abundance, not just for our life today, but for all eternity. That's how it works. Jesus came from heaven where he had everything at his disposal. And Paul said, for our sakes then became poor so that we might become rich. Or another way to say it is when you look at the life of Jesus, he went from riches to rags so we could go from rags to riches. And the question before us, as it is for every generation of God's people, is simply this. What then shall we do with those riches?